justice, politics, culture, art, and just about anything else. As always, it's Isaiah here. And this week, it's a special episode. I know the last couple of weeks I haven't been able to upload too much because my semester started. My final semester in undergraduate um, has started, really. And, um, you know, adjusting to that new schedule, more homework assignments, and um, just transitioning from, you know, adolescence and kind of the college adulthood into like a different level of adulthood um, has been what I've been going through. But nonetheless, I wanted to give you guys a special episode this week. And this episode is a little bit different. This episode is actually the first interview that I have conducted. And it is also very different from the way I envisioned it for the first interview to happen. So if you follow my social media or even just have had conversation with me, you'll know that every Friday night I work with the Kendall Moore Show here in Chicago on WVON. You know, radio is live, so it's a talk radio um, show. And I usually have the opportunity to talk on air and voice my opinions and my thoughts about things that are happening around the world and in Chicago, uh, much like I do here on the podcast. And this past Friday, however, we had the opportunity to have Nathan Hale Williams on the show, who is the writer, director, and producer of a new film coming out called All Boys Aren't Blue, which is based on George M. Johnson's book, All Boys Aren't Blue. And Johnson is a New York-based non-binary author and activist, and they wrote All Boys Aren't Blue using you know their own experiences from childhood, adolescence, and their college years in New Jersey and in Virginia. And they cover topics like gender identity, masculinity, family, consent, and just black joy. And this has also been optioned for a potential television series by Gabrielle Union and her production company, um, or her production team, I should say. And so I had the opportunity to interview the director of this film. And so that's kind of what I want to share with you guys today. Um, there will be excerpts from the other uh, folks that I work with on the show, including Kendall himself, um, Netta, Will, and we had a guest on our show, um, Stanley. And so kind of this is that interview. And I led this interview for the most part. I asked a few questions and it really ties into like gender and um, just the representation of gender and sexuality in media, especially because, you know, I do identify as black, queer and non-binary. So having a story like this to being a movie and potentially being a TV show is really big. Um, and I wanted to share that guys with you, with you. So this, that's what this episode is. It's a special episode. Um, we get to tune into this interview. Um, if you would like, you can always follow the show on Facebook and Instagram, the Kendall Moore show. And, um, so yeah, enjoy. Right now, uh, I do have the honor and pleasure of having on brother Nathan Hale Williams, ladies and gentlemen. Coming up on Monday is National HIV, a black national HIV AIDS awareness day. Make sure that you know your status. Why are we what what is going on with the African-American, the black community, the black and Latinx communities? Why is HIV and AIDS having such an impact? And then when it comes to who we are as individuals, there are many people who are still struggling with being who they are. Regardless of what your sexual orientation is, what's coming up, All Boys Aren't Blue. It's a film and it's a reading from the award-winning book, A Great Friend of Mine, out in Washington, D.C., 
Brother George uh, M. Johnson, uh, you know, and this is produced by the AIDS Healthcare Foundation. The subsidiary is Black, the Black uh, 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 Leadership uh, AIDS Crisis. Thank you very much. <laughs> Am I taking too long oh, to get out of this? <laughs> no, no I just want to help you out. <laughs> Nonetheless, though, without any further ado, Brother Nathan Hale Williams, welcome to the Kendall Moore Show. How you doing, Brother Nate? I am doing great, uh, Kendall. I am just happy to be here. You know, I'm from Chicago, so this is uh, like being at home but without the snow. Do you know what? The next time you are in Chicago, you better make sure you spend some. Do you come by WVON with us, please? Absolutely. Oh, for sure, for sure, for sure. Listen, thank you very much for uh, availing yourself and making some time uh, to talk about what is going to be happening on Monday. All boys aren't blue. You're doing your thing per usual. Uh, National Black HIV AIDS Awareness Day, directed, produced, and adapted. Brother Nathan, please take it away. Thank you very much. So, yes, as you were saying, um, uh, you know, on Monday, uh, February 8th, we will be premiering a film that I directed uh, based on George M. Johnson's best-selling and award-winning memoir, All Boys Aren't Blue, uh, in commemoration of National Black HIV AIDS Awareness Day. Uh, uh, George, uh, his book is just brilliantly penned, um, and it it takes us from his birth through the time he's 21. He talks about the intersectionality of his blackness and his black gayness and and how he had to reconcile all of that and we uh do three chapters from the book uh, it stars jennifer lewis everybody's favorite black mother yes, of Hollywood, everybody's yes. favorite yes. auntie um delon burnside from the hit show pose uh bernard david jones and thomas hobson and so what you probably think of what a, a dramatic reading is this Throw that out of your mind. This is a full-fledged film that is emotional. And you, 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 you pondered a question before I came on about why there's such a, still such a prevalence of HIV and AIDS in the, the black community and the Latinx community. And it's because we're not having conversations. I just uh, got off of a panel with the Delta Sigma Theta and the Lynx. And it's really encouraging to be here, to be there, and having these conversations because, you know, we've seen, we know this for the truth. We've seen in other communities uh, HIV rates go down. And we've seen in the black community HIV rates continue to go up. And it's because we're not talking about it. And so I just applaud you and I applaud everyone who has the courage to have these uncomfortable conversations and and really try to eradicate the divisiveness within our co- and within our community so that we can band together and really save ourselves because nobody else is coming to save us. Nathan Hill Williams, ladies and gentlemen, on the live line. Listen, we got a, a bunch of calls, and uh, you know what? Let me turn it over to uh, Isaiah, who's here right now. <laughs> Thank you again, uh, bro Williams. Go ahead. Uh, uh, hey, Nathan. This is Isaiah, um, and just. I wanted to give a little insight about who I am as a person so that we can get, you can know who I am. I am, my name is Isaiah, and I identify as black, non-binary, and queer. I also use they, them pronouns. Um, I also work in television and cultural studies, and the representation of marginalized groups is something that is really prevalent to me, and it's something that I aspire to do um, for the rest of my life, honestly, through activism and through media and film. And being that you directed, adapted, and produced you know, this story about a black, queer, non-binary person, I wanted to know, like, your inspiration for being a part of this project 
and helping in dispelling those stigmas and stereotypes and preconceived notions that are associated with black queer youth, especially those stigmas around those who are non-binary as well? Uh, that's an amazing question, and so thank you for proposing it. Um, you know, this was actually just divinely ordered. I had just finished reading uh, George's book, and I did not know George uh, at the time, who's also a non-binary writer. Uh, and I just said to myself, I, I know I know somebody that knows them, and I need to get in touch to say how much I appreciate it, not only just as a writer myself, the actual writing of the book, because it's beautifully written, but also this the courage and the bravery of of sharing their story in this memoir. I think that's what attracted Gabrielle Union to it. And then almost like clockwork, the very next day, Amara Kennedy from uh, Black AHF called, and they've, I've been a longtime partner of theirs and, and film partner of theirs, and asked would I, you know, conceive and, and uh, direct uh, a piece, uh, you know, a dramatic reading piece for uh, to commemorate National Black HIV AIDS Awareness Day. And I said yes. And it was at the end of 2020, and I was exhausted. And what I I have to say about why I said yes and why I'm glad I said yes is I think that we have shied away from this conversation far too long mm. and I think that it is time that we have a reckoning in our community and really we saw what happened in you know the 2020 election it was the harnessing of, of the black power right you know we saw what happened over the summer with black lives matter so I think that you know having these conversations about the things that have tended to divide us for no good reason mm. um, is critical for us to move forward as as a powerful community and really take our place in the, not only in this society but in the world. Absolutely agree. Yes, of course. And um, I was, as a, as a media student, I was doing some research, and you know, only one trans transgender character has been represented in the top 100 films over the last you know decade or so. And I wanted to know your insight on what should the industry do move, go do going moving forward in regards to representation and showcasing these stories and these people um, because it's lacking very significantly, especially when the intersections of identity of blackness and queerness and even gayness. Um, so what, do you, what are some um, secrets for success in the industry moving forward for this kind of representation? Well, you know, uh, Vivica Fox once told me that this is show business, and the more you know about the business, the more you get to show. And so, um, you know, there's one, there's, one, there's one color and one language that people here in Hollywood speak, and that's money, right? So right. we as create, you know, if you are a creator uh, like myself and like George, we have to be brave enough to push the narrative forward and change the pair and shift the paradigm and so that, and then also prove that these things can be successful. So, you know, we've been doing, you know, outreach and push for this uh, project all week to show that people actually will watch. If we, you know, you look at something like Moonlight, right, where, yes. you know, they, they basically said, no, nah, no one's going to watch that. Yep. And then it wins Best Picture. Yep. Um, you know, and I, what I say about this story that we're telling on Monday is that it is very specific and universal all at the same time. We all know what it's like to struggle with trying to find your own identity, whether who you are, you know, as, as, as whatever your, 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 whoever your idea, whatever part of your identity, we all struggle as we're growing up to find ourselves, so to speak, right? And so the way George has penned this particular narrative is specific to George and specific to black queer people, but universal because it's a universal experience, the growing up experience. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, our existence has always been here, but it's not always represented. And as someone who was working behind the camera, I do it myself and you do as well. And the statistics show that when, you know, black folks or any person of color works behind the camera, that that representation is reflected, you know, on the screen. And I wanted to know, you know, your process as well for um, helping get these characters on screen and the work that you've done to make sure that, you know, our people are represented accurately and our stories are being told, um, you know, in media. Well, quite frankly, it, you know, it's it's a it's a hustle, and I mean that in the most positive way <clears throat> possible. You know, uh, I think a lot of the times the impediment for uh, creators of color or creators from underrepresented groups is finance. You know, it, it's being able to finance it, uh, and you know, I think in the digital age, that's become less of an issue because right. you can make a whole movie on your iPhone, right? You can you can put and and you can shoot the movie, you can write it. You can put it out for people to see. And so I think that there is a renaissance coming. I think there is a golden age coming. You, you see a lot of voices that are unique and that you've never seen before. You see that, that, that show that everyone's upset about, that it didn't get uh, nominated for Golden Globes, I May Destroy You, from the British black woman. Uh, you see the 40-year version from Raja. Um, you you yeah. see all these things yeah. because of digital uh, age that you can actually create your own stuff. And then you got to get out there and market it and that's what one thing that mm -hmm. social media has done for us it is d um I can't think of the word right now. I've been talking all day, but it is uh, it is uh, basically made it accessible for everyone to promote themselves and their work, whereas it was reserved for a, a select few. So I think you have to take advantage of the opportunities the digital age is presenting us, and then we just have to keep telling our stories and really get good at telling those stories. Nathan, would 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 you say that you are? Um, you know, you you are the bridge builder. You're on the forefront because, you you know, you not have only been involved in this project, but there's uh, other projects uh, prior to prior to this one. A couple that uh, we certainly at AHF that we have uh, filmed and, and showed. But my, my direct question to you, um, your passion behind these type of films and your involvement, um, what's the why behind that? Well, the why is because I love us. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. the, and, and that just is as simple as that. I, I love us, and I love our stories. And I think that <clears throat> our culture is just so rich, and it's, it's, such, it's such a great, you know, basis and foundation for creating art. Um, and then I also care about our survival and our thriving. And so I always say that I like to make uh, films that matter, but that deliver the medicine with a spoonful of sugar. You know, my previous film that I, I worked with AHF called 90 Days, yep. uh, you know, with uh, Tiana Paris starring in Pauletta Washington, you know, it was about, about a, hetero, a black heterosexual woman dealing with HIV and AIDS and dating and love. And I wanted to prove that you could make a story about HIV and AIDS and, you know, and have it be a love story. And, um, and so I want to, my goal is to change, uh, uh, the way we look at some of the things that how we how we solve those things you know aristotle said something like this that you don't change people's minds through intellect you do it through emotion and i don't know a better medium than film and television Absolutely. to do that uh, maybe music 
but arts and entertainment in general has a way of building empathy that other mechanisms just don't. You can read a brochure and then never remember what it said, but if you see a film yeah. and it touches your heart, oh my God. Uh, you're yeah. changed forever. Spot on. You're touching, Spot you're on. Touching. So, so what's up, Nathan? This is West Side Will. How are you, sir? I'm doing amazing, West Side Will. Great, great. <laughs> all right, all right. Look. I'm looking at your background. It says that you are a lawyer. Yeah, entertainment, entertainment attorney. Yeah. I am. So, so I'm I wondering, am. like, what, uh, what were you always interested in the arts? Has a, I mean, because it seems to be you would have went to like a performing arts uh, to get an MFA or something like that. And we have a professor here too. Yeah. Well, yeah, the we professor has a question as well. But go ahead, uh, yeah. get to Will though. So it, my trajectory, you know, is is so, you know, I was a kid in the 80s and I remember specifically watching The Color Purple and watching it in a way that was not just like a regular viewer, right? I took, you know, I picked apart the colors and I picked apart the performances and so I was a, a kid actor in Chicago when I was growing up and then I went to Whitney Young and performed in the company and, and, and was a dancer and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, that wasn't practical back then, you know, right. you, you I did, didn't have the language uh, to say, hey, I want to be a film director there weren't there were black film directors but they weren't they weren't prominent like there was Oscar Michaud and Melvin Van Peebles but I didn't hear about them it wasn't until I was in college like the end of high school and beginning of college when Spike Lee came along that mm -hmm. I started to see images because you got to be able to see yourself doing something absolutely 100 percent and so that's why representation matters. And so I knew that I could be a doctor or a lawyer, and I, I went to law school to actually be a film producer. I know that sounds crazy, but this woman, Deborah Martin Chase, I read her, her story. She's <sighs> prolific. Um, yes. And she talked about going to law school and her job as a producer. Yeah. And so I went to it's, law school to mm -hmm. become a producer. Um, <laughs> and it was, yeah. uh, it's, it's, say that. It's, 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 yeah. And uh, but, so I was a producer for a long exactly. time, and then my mom, uh, being the great, you know, mother from the south side of Chicago, she is, called me about six years ago, and she said, you know, I don't want you to produce anybody. I'm tired. And she actually said, I'm tired of you producing other people's stuff. You've been mm. writing since you were eight years old. It's time for you to do your own. And so I literally haven't looked back since. Uh, All Boys Aren't Blue is, in fact, is the first thing that I've directed in six years that I didn't write myself. So my journey to the arts and entertainment and film directing and writing was long because when I was growing up, it just, there was no language for that there was no example for that so uh and i see that changing like my goddaughter you know has seen me do it and so that's all she wants to do she wants to be a director like uncle nathan and um she's 14 and so i love that but when i was growing up i just didn't have any any role models to look up to to see so, myself doing it nathan and that is exactly what i'm saying you You're are right that bridge builder You're right, right on now point you are there listen we only got a, a couple more minutes professor uh anything uh, and I'm sorry, Nathan, we, we definitely have to have you back. I, you got too much going on for us not to have you back. Professor, go ahead. I want to find out where are you seeing this placed in the black church? Because uh, I watched in the 80s and 90s an entire community just get wiped out because the black church would not deal with it. Um, there was that, that period of condemnation and the pulpit uh, promoted that. You know, you're going to hell. You're, you're going to go into the lake of fire. You know, I mean, all of that, the preaching. 
but no one was dealing with the issues. And then suddenly, you know, after this entire population died, then we watch women developing HIV and full-blown AIDS. There was a young lady, and her name escapes me, but I can see her. She was a member of Second Baptist Church in Evanston, and she later joined um, a fellowship, Reverend Clay Evans Fellowship, and she became the poster child woman for um, a woman getting, because she went to full-blown AIDS, and she's still with us. Mm-hmm. So Great how, how have you addressed the black church, and where do you see it? And I know churches aren't meeting right now. I know that. But how can, you're talking about building a bridge. There's a bridge that needs to be built. So, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that not only does, I mean, we, we know what importance and credence the black church has in our community, and rightfully so, right? Um, but we also know that the black church has some reconciling to do with uh, really being shepherds to save our community. And, um, and, and so there was a lot of bad things that happened in the 80s and the 90s. And, you know, the, the church, you know, is, is culpable for some of that. But what I do see and what I am encouraged by are churches like the church I went to when I lived in New York, for, you know, First Corinthians and Pastor Mike, Pastor Shep here in, uh, in, in L.A. And I, I, see, I see that there is a movement amongst black clergy to right the wrongs in the black church. Because if the black church got behind these issues fully, and said, look, enough is enough. People are dying. Our people are dying. And um, then that would be a radical change. And so, you know, we were constantly, you know, kind of taking it to the black church to step up and really right the wrongs of the past. So because, uh, you know, we're dying. We're still dying from this, and we don't have to. Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to touch on just, like, the way in which media represents us um, so vaguely sometimes and how the stories aren't always so authentic and a part of ourselves just how the potential that you know all boys aren't blue has to change the narrative in regards to what we talk about because this can be something that we talk about as a common ground and when we mention black queer non-binary youth or people it won't be a stigma attached to it and it won't be kind of like people don't know what it is they'll be able to look at media because over 60% of people get their information from media. So I want to gauge your interest and like your thoughts on the potential that All Boys Aren't Blue has to change the landscape of, you know, our culture. Oh, I I believe it's going to rock. I believe because just the, the partnerships that we have, like so the Root, the, the Grio, uh, GLAD, all coming together to have this conversation. And when you see the film, I... I I don't think you can be a human being and have an ounce of humanity in you and not be moved by mm-hmm. it and not be changed by it. Mm-hmm. And I'm someone who comes from the community, and I still, and I, it's my film, and I've you know, seen it a gazillion times in this editing process, and I, I, I am still moved by it because it is the absolute humanity of what George has written that is so universal. Like I said, it's specific to George and it's specific to an experience, but the humanity of it is universal. And, you know, it's just it's time for us to get over it. It's, I mean, we are so powerful, and uh, it doesn't make sense to limit that power because we're saying, you people, you, you know, you know, the pointing of the finger, you guys aren't allowed to be a part of this community, and that's just wrong. 
Thank you guys for tuning in on a special episode of Where Do We Go From Here Pod. Tune in next week for a conversation around media representation in Hollywood.